Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and I'm simply a medley of mistakes other people made. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and Anna, you know this is an open line, right? Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of... Human subjects committees. <laughs> and ethological homeostasis. Today we'll be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Three. Which is available at a... Dan, help me with this. Movie, movie theater. Theater. Yeah. Movie theater. It was yes. really funky to go to one of those, Anna. Like, do you know Still. that like you can get popcorn and stuff and then watch the film and then you don't need to clean up afterwards? I have a mini story about that. <laughs> oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> so I have a Cinemark movie pass. Ah, okay. Which means I get to see a free movie every month and I get discounted popcorn and and sodas nice. and it's worth it it's totally worth it highly yeah. recommend the program to anyone who goes to see a movie a month because they roll over too because i've been to see a movie in months and months but okay now for summer i'll be I'll you'll be, be able to go plenty yeah yeah right so i decided to go ahead and get the large tub of Ooh, popcorn nice okay which i rarely get yeah it's just a lot of popcorn right? i mean yeah it's always that's always the thing where you get it and you're like why did i think i was actually going to eat this much there is no right. human way i can do that so I get to the movie theater a little early, as I do, and I get mm -hmm. my little setup done because I have yeah. to get out my bag and I have a sweater oh. and I have- like, You have a movie sweater? Do you have like a I particular have, movie sweater? It's not a movie sweater. sweater. It's just like a hoodie. Okay, fair just, enough. Just yeah. but in case, which yeah. I almost always put on. But yeah. And you know, in my bag and I, I have a either a note-taking device of some part, mm -hmm. you know, some kind. That's mm -hmm. what I meant to say. Variety. So I'm getting all set up and I need to set down the enormous thing of popcorn. Oh, no. And sure enough, like half of it spills onto the seat next to me. Oh, no. I'm sorry, Anna. I obeyed the 10 second rule. I scooped <laughs> a, a bunch of it and I thought this is really gross, but a lot of it's not touching the seat. A lot of it is there's so much of it. It's not touching the seat. Fair enough. So, also, it so, is the five second rule, I believe. I mean, or at least in my world, it's the five second rule. Oh, it's rule, the 10 it? second rule. In my oh, world. that anyway, is fascinating. Okay. So right. I scoop up. The parts that aren't touching yeah. the seat, yeah, yeah, like the yeah. top part, but right. there's a ton left, right? <laughs> and so, like, I just kind of put it in a little pile. Like, I put it in a tidy little pile. I don't have enough napkins to pick it up right. and like dispose of it. Yeah. And most of the time, I'm when I go to the movies these days, anyone goes. Like, there's a bunch of empty seats, so I'm like, all yes. right, so maybe just no one will sit there. Nope. Sure enough, this young couple comes in, and oh. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's there's no butter. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's true, there's no butter. I'm really sorry. And he goes, no problem. And he just wipes it onto the floor. <laughs> well, I'm not sure where else he was going to put it, to be fair, Anna. Well, but yeah, I, you know. I don't know. Like, I was like, oh, I guess that is a solution. I mean, I just didn't th think of it. And then. what? Now, I'm curious. You said it was a couple. Do you think they were like a long term relationship or was it a date? Oh, that's a good question. I think it's a long-term relationship. Well, put it this way. If I was on a date with someone. Right. This is why I'm saying, yeah. Right. And we got to have the same situation happen, and I was the person who was watching, mm -hmm. I would be a little disturbed by someone who just like swept it onto the floor. Right. Although if it's like for someone else's seat, maybe it's like a weird demented act of chivalry although yeah it's like strange yeah it is yeah. like i don't know i think i would be like am i the kind of person that just puts this on the floor for someone else to clean up because no. it was a lot of i mean <laughs> I, I don't know May i should have 
put it on me. I should have gone to an attendant and been like, can I get something to sweep this up? Yeah, I would say he's in a no-win situation at that point, to be fair. Yeah, because I mean, also the movie is getting ready to start. Yeah, yeah, okay. Like, you've got to sit down. Like, I, I, so I, I, for, I get it. I get yeah. it. At the, in the moment, it felt weird. But I don't, like this way, doesn't belong in Cansylvania. That's the way I would put it. I, I agree. He's. Okay. He, I will not deport him to Cansylvania. There we go. Okay. And I hope the date went well. My suspicion, it was a middle date. Okay. That's my suspicion. Anyway, what else are we <laughs> going to talk about besides our movie-going experiences? We have upcoming our special crossover event of Star Trek original series and Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Correct. To look at some the through line of Captain Pike. Yes. And questions about destiny, mm-hmm. which has also given us idea to do crossover stuff moving forward to have some other crossover events. Yes, we I think this is something we've planned for this summer. One of you know, one of the ways we're going to celebrate hot sci-fi summer is by talking about the greatest crossovers in sci-fi history. That's right. <laughs> Which include I believe we're talking about the three that I have in mind are Star Trek Generations yeah, this was your idea. So yeah, this I'm, was my I'm... idea. So it's Star Trek Generations, <laughs> which you know had elements of the old original series and the Next Generation right. cast. X Men: Days of Future Past. Oh, I actually really like that. Yeah, and of course, I think we'll do Avengers: Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. Oh wow, we're gonna go net what is now considered, I think, classic MCU. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. yes, yes. Which <laughs> yes, and, and we have things to say about this MCU. Entry. We we will, and we have other things planned. You know, we've got June all sketched out we're going to be doing the pitch black trilogy over the summer as well i believe we are both very excited for dune part two although that's not going to be coming out for a little while i feel like i might be more excited than you oh i am offended (laughs) by that anna florence Pugh is in it i'm aware yes (laughs) oh yes oh yes florence Pugh is in it and i will look forward to that (laughs) and also i took the liberty of posting our tentative schedule onto our discord which is a first for us mm-hmm. because we've always wanted to be able to have some know, flexibility change, in the change direction yeah. on a dime. Yeah. And we're not locked into this. No. But we we're going to give people a chance to, as they as they say, read ahead, although we don't have a ton of books coming up. That's correct, Anna. Um, but it should be noted that the only way you're going to be able to find oh, out what the right. schedule is if is if you join the Discord. And the only way you can join the Discord, Anna, is how is it? You become a patron. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. You go to patreon.com slash space the nation. Forward slash, not backslash. Forward slash space the nation. And there are levels from $3 to some ridiculous amount, which actually a few people have done. Thank you to those people. Actually, I'm going to get their names. And next time we do a show, I will read the names of the people that have pledged at space admiral level. And I will just. Because they are the super fans. And we will salute them right here. Salute them. Yes. The Discord is a wonderful place. We have a variety of channels, very few of which have to do with sci fi. I think my favorite um, co opting for the uses of the community channel is our Hated It channel, (laughs) which I conceived of as a place to talk about science fiction that we hated, but people now use it to talk about just whatever is annoying them in their lives, which. Since Twitter is gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Um, which means, by the way, if you want to reach us on social media, it's a touch more complicated now. But we are both on Mastodon. I believe we're both on Post. I am not on Post. I am oh, looking I am for a post. Blue Sky invitation if anyone has one. I have not gotten a Blue Sky invitation either. So, yes, we're not on the, the Blue Ski thing. Um, yeah. We are on TikTok, I believe. We have posted two things on TikTok. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And I am told that students love finding their professors on TikTok. God damn so, you. So <laughs> <laughs> we might get an influx of subscribers, of very, oh. you know, junior subscribers. Oh, dear. You know, that's a market I hadn't thought about tapping, Dan, is <laughs> your students becoming patrons. How about I've... that? <laughs> Anna, I'm pretty sure it, I'm pretty sure I would be headed for Cancelvania if I used the word tapping anywhere around the word students. <laughs> anyway, speaking of reaching us, I am also on Instagram. Yes. I also have a website. A web homepage. Yes. I believe it's might even http it. colon forward slash forward slash www.anamariecox. Dot com. It might even be HTTPS. Oh, fancy. Layers okay. Involved. Yeah. But yes, and there you can find information about whatever I'm up to. I have a column at the New Republic and I do writing workshops, which I really love doing. There's a couple of people from the Discord, our patrons, who have done a writing oh, workshop great. with me. And I think they both have been very good experiences. And I, I have, have a, oh, go ahead. No, 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 finish. You hadn't said everything you had. Oh, I mean, it's just exciting time for the business of Anna Marie Cox, <laughs> not relying on freelance income. That's good. Dan, did you know uh-huh. when Ernest Hemingway was a freelance writer? Yeah. Do you know how much he got paid? 400 bucks. A dollar a word. Whoa, that's actually. Do that- you know how much the New York Times pays? <laughs> Not a dollar a word. I know that. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> that was $25 a word at his uh, 20-something prices. Not, yeah, that's and, impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I gave up trying to support myself freelancing. I'm supporting myself mainly by doing the book, mm-hmm. and which still won't work out to as nearly dial- dollar a word. But the <laughs> But you're able to pay the bills. You're able to pay the mortgage. I am, I am basically getting by. Yes. yes. And, uh, and what do you do to get by? I, well, I teach mostly again and again. Don't use the word. How much did tapping with paid? the word students? But um, beyond that, uh, I also have a Substack called Dresner's World, which you know is not the, the worst side hustle. And I have been writing occasionally for outlets like Foreign Policy and Vox and Politico more recently. That's right. Yeah, I enjoy reading you on the internet, Dan. Oh well, thank you, Anna. I enjoy yeah. reading you on the interwebs as well. Thank you. Uh, why are we talking about Guardians of the Galaxy? This might be an easy question to yeah, answer. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it. it's straightforward. It's the start of the summer movie season, Anna. And Guardians of the Galaxy is, I think, the most sci-fi-y portion of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But also, I think this film does represent an interesting inflection point in the MCU, which I think was it. We we're just done with Phase Four, and are we starting Phase Five? Is that the? I have no idea, but like, I think that's. Correct. I've I. You know, I watch the YouTube channels that go into this in okay. detail, and yeah. it, I still don't quite keep track. The of way it, I would so. put it is that Phase Four struggled a bit as mm. of, at times, and I think the the Ant Man movie did did not do terrifically well, and so I there, haven't even seen it. It got terrible reviews. Yeah. there's a concern that that is the MCU been played out. Like, look this way: my daughter, who was an MCU super fan ever since Thor Ragnarok, and like has been obsessed about it all of it, did not want to go see this film opening weekend. She says, I think I need a break from the MCU. And what is interesting is that this film in particular says goodbye to James Gunn, who is the sort of, you know, auteur responsible for the Guardians films, but has now been uh, tapped to essentially take over the DC universe and expand its life. With not, uh, not a too auspicious beginning, I would say. 
but he's an interesting director. We'll talk a and lot it's hard about to, him. And to be fair, it's hard to judge the DC slate at this point because, like, he, I mean, everything that's come out since he took over in the fall is stuff that he had no say over whatsoever. So, like, I, I'm willing to give him a mulligan. I'm going to say that he had total say over the Suicide Squad. Oh, that's different. Okay, I see your point. Yes. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. Total, Suicide Squad, or The Suicide Squad, which distinguishes it from, from the movie. Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have an episode about it. Yeah. People can listen. We were Go not ahead. Fans. We were not yeah. huge fans of it. Is that the only reason? Is that the primary reasons we're talking about it on? Dan, it has talking animals. Oh, of course. I'm sorry. Well, and if there just... is a place in my heart that is a weak spot, because I have no other weaknesses. I am no, a hard-hearted I... person. <laughs> That's true, Anna. I look at you and I think you are invulnerable. That is, you I, you could be a superhero. Yeah, I, yeah. it is talking Except animals. for talking okay. animals. That's I, your that's your kryptonite. An, movies where animals talk are actually genuinely, like, I will watch almost any movie that has talking animals. <laughs> <laughs> I had a dream once that my cat could talk to me. What did the cat say? Well, it was my cat. Uh, Alexander, mm-hmm. who was a very special kitty. I have a tattoo of him. Mm-hmm. He was at some point abused mm-hmm. in his young life and had a traumatic brain injury, Oh, which left him without a sense of smell. Oh, dear. And very bad balance. One of his sinuses was collapsed. And he was sometimes, I've heard a friend, a friend of mine refer to him as a goldfish cat because he would just walk into a room and seem to forget why he went in. <laughs> okay. And yep. sometimes he would stare at walls and very special, dear to my heart. And the dream I had, Alexander t- could talk. And the thing he said to me in the dream was, I like to have my butt scratched. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's and I fun. believe that it was, I believe that was a true representation. I believe a- Alexander entered my dreams and had I, one important thing to say to me. I will say that after this film, we, when Eric and I came home, we looked at Mimi and kind of wondered what would Mimi be like if she, if she would talk? Would what would her voice be like? What would she say? And so yeah, this it does. This movie did prompt those sorts of thoughts. Not and many. Not others. much else. Yeah, yeah. Not much else. <laughs> I, I, uh, this gets ahead. to the question of will the podcast ruin it for yes. you? And I think the answer is maybe a little in the sense that if you really want to learn about Rocket's backstory firsthand, go see this film before you listen to this. Surprisingly, I don't think it's a terrifically plot heavy film. It's a very simple plot. Even though it does leave all the major characters in a very different place from where they were before, you know, like it doesn't impact the larger MCU at all. It really, I would leave it at that. And I would say what plot there is, is not particularly strong. Yeah. Yeah. Like the flashback plot, part of me is like, why didn't they just make a movie out of the flashback? Why didn't they make a prequel as it were? Why didn't they just make a prequel, which we would have seen more of the very interesting characters, actually, of Rocket's little cohort. I think the answer is, is because that would have left everyone in a puddle. I think there was only so much they could do on that backstory. Like the backstory is just heartbreaking. Needs a trigger warning. I would actually say. Yeah, that's a good one. There's been some argument that it should have been distributed with a trigger warning. However, if you've seen a preview, yeah. Like, yeah. or if you know anything about Rocket, you're probably aware this, this the backstory is going to end badly. Which so, brings yeah. me to my comment, which is there's nothing to spoil. Yeah. Like, there was some talk before this came out, like, is someone going to die? Mm-hmm. Like, because that's what it seemed to, the, there was so much over the top emotion in some of the trailers. Right. People were like, oh my God, like maybe rocket dies and it does seem like some of the characters might die i will tell no i'm gonna ruin it like nothing to spoil no one dies everyone learns something okay but the the only thing i will say is that when you're watching the film 
I believed that some of these characters could die. And I think that it, maybe that's a meta thing because you knew this was their last go around. So it wouldn't have been surprising if a character had died. I don't think I ruined anything by saying no one dies. No, 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 no. Like, I think it's it's just hues to comic book. Yeah. I mean, it's true. The MCU has dared to go there. I yeah. cried at the end of in, in, I cried Infinity at the end of Infinity War. War. Right. Like, and because yeah. I somehow got out, got to the theater with no, no. one telling me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and even <laughs> the end of Endgame, you know, the yeah. major character. Tony, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, Robert Downey Jr. This movie also shows just the degree to which the MCU depends on the charisma of its actors. Yes. Yes. Agreed. And Bradley Cooper, if there were Oscars <laughs> for, for voicing voice animals, yeah. Bradley Cooper this is, should be nominated. This is Bradley Cooper's film, I think is the way to put it. Which which oh, yeah. which gets us to the story behind the story. And Anna, the way I would put it is that it, you, we were talking about there wasn't much plot to the film. Is it correct to say there is more plot to the backstory of this film? Because it seems like there was. It could be, Dan, that James Gunn's career has its own arc to it. <laughs> That could make a a series on Netflix. I mean, like, I think James he, Gunn is in phase four now, would be the way yes, to put it. Yes, yes, that is a good way to put it. Yeah. So he is a Transylvania expat, <laughs> uh, briefly resided there mm-hmm. uh, from 2018 to 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was fired by the MCU over some pretty objectively horrible tweets from his youth, mm-hmm. I would say. They had to do with mocking the Holocaust, the 9-11 attacks, AIDS, pedophilia, rape. The rape one is really bad. Interestingly, they were dug up by conservative outlets after James Gunn mocked Ben Shapiro and had been sort of a vocal Trump opponent. It was the weaponization of cancellation, which does happen. Oh, sure. And, And it was interesting because it actually was, there were a fair number of progressive people who were like, eh, I don't know. Because he pol- he full he fulsomely apologized. Right. Like I don't think there was he didn't defend anything. He he apologized he immediately. Objectively yeah. like I was dumb. I was young. Yeah. I was I was playing a role. Yeah. I don't believe that stuff anymore. I didn't believe it. He actually was like, I never believed it. I thought being extreme was funny. It's uh, not. Yeah. You know? I have stuff in that I've said in my past. I if people you know, like if there was, if the internet had an even longer memory than it does, there's <laughs> stuff that I've said that's pretty stupid. So I get it. And and he did say all the right things. But 2018, a lot of people were moving to Transylvania. Yep. So he left. He got a deal to do Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad, almost immediately. And MCU... Uh, saw the error of his ways in 2019 he was hired back in the meantime dan his hair turned stark white oh his hair wasn't white before i don't know it probably went slowly but i, I think like it's funny video. to look at pictures of him from then and his hair really is all white now i don't know if the he one, bleaches it or what but like correct me if i'm wrong like one of the reasons he came back was that chris pratt and zoe saldana actually sat down with the mcu yes. folks and said look you're making a mistake here yes and chris pratt has his own yeah. he not necessarily the border of Transylvania, but he could easily move houses. He's in the excerpts of, of you know. No, he's not even like I would just say like he he has he has pen pals in Transylvania. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, you know, uh, people don't know he is a Christian, which yeah. isn't a problem, but he's got some things of his conservative Christianity. He's never said anything that is super bad, but mm-hmm. he's kind of intimated that he's a fairly conservative 
Christian, uh, which again, I'm a Christian, no problem with that. Yep. And also James Gunn said something I thought was really smart and self-aware mm-hmm. about being, being so-called canceled. Yeah. He said, because cancel culture is also for people like Harvey Weinstein who should be canceled. Yeah. People who've gotten canceled and then remained canceled, most of those people deserve that. The paparazzi are not just the people on the streets. They're people combing Twitter for any past sins and all of that hmm. sucks. But some of it is accountability. And part hmm. of that is good. It's about finding that balance. I like that analogy to the paparazzi, actually. That's that's not the worst analogy. That's that's pretty smart by gun. It's sort of interesting to me, like some of the clips that I found uh, post uncancelization, uncancelization yeah. are actually from conservative outlets using him as a avatar of like, see, even this Hollywood liberal is anti-cancel culture, which is not quite that's right. not what that quote just said. I mean, I'm pretty sure he was like, you know, he he has defended Chris Pratt, and he's also defended yeah. Zachary Levy, who is an anti-vaxer. Oh dear, that's unfortunate. But it, but I would say actually his defensive had been along the lines of like, I'm not going to cancel anyone, and that's you know? fair. Like you know, he I, doesn't even use the word cancel. To be fair, he just says yeah, like, yeah. I'm I will work with people who've said things I don't agree with. Although if they do morally repugnant things, that might be something else. So right. There you go. Uh, one more thing about this uh, backstory, which is people have said that this is James Gunn's version of We Three. Which have you heard of that comic, Dan? No. For a second, I thought you meant Web Three. So no. What is it? It is three? James Gunn's version of Web Three. <laughs> <laughs> this is James there Gunn's is crypto. A, <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is James. It is written in various scripting languages. Uh, <laughs> that comic has been described as Homeward Bound meets The Terminator in which three cybernetically engineered animals, a dog, a cat, and a bunny rabbit, escape a military facility and try to find what they refer to in all caps as home. I will never read this comic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure I'm ever going to read that. It is distinguished from other talking animal escapades because it does not fully humanize the animals. Their intelligence is still at the level of animals. And I think that that would fucking wreck me. Yeah. No, no, we don't need to see that. Which is also why I won't see Cocaine Bear, which we have discussed. But the idea of animals doing anything against their wills really bothers me. So The Cocaine uh, Bear. Hold on. The bear willingly did the cocaine, Anna. I'm just going to point that out, at least in the film. Based on a story where a bear was... Not oh, so well, willingly. God forbid that they actually stretch the truth a little um, bit in a dramatization. We're not going to agree about this. We're moving we're on. We're not going to agree about Con- okay, Bear. Fine, fine. Gunn has said that the entire Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy is really about Rocket. Uh, that he is the quote unquote secret protagonist of the whole series. Uh, raise hands, question mark voice. Uh, the, the whole reason the trilogy works is because you have a collection of stronger characters. Like that's, it's not just about, work. I think this is worth discussing. We'll discuss it more later. Yeah. I will say gun has three pets. And if you follow him on Instagram, you will see lots of pictures of them. There is Ozu, a terrier mix. There is a mm-hmm. puggle named Lola von Stinkerton <laughs> who makes a brief cameo in the, one of the end scene uh, sequence in credit sequences after ah, okay. credits. What do we call those? Post-credit. Post-credit sequences, where she is on the front page of the newspaper that also has a reference to Kevin Kevin Bacon's disappearance or kidnapping by the Guardians, where it says Lola, Puggle Lola wins best in show or something like that. Oh, that was the other headline. Okay, that's good. I like that. And he also has a cat named Emily Monster, who, Dan, Uh, is a dilute calico. Oh. And thus, a distant relative. 
of Molly Murder Kitten. <gasps> now, I would read a comic about Molly Murder Kitten and Emily Monster. Emily I am Monster just guessing from her like, name that she has a similar personality. Like, you know, teaming up. Solving crimes, killing the Oh, no, the killing. Yeah. They're just killing. They're oh, just, no, no, like, they would they're solve anti-heroes. The, no, okay. no, they would solve the murder, and then they would kill the killer. That's, the, you know, to be fair, like, that's how Okay, that's I see them. You're sort of a Dexter. Yeah. Dexter, but yeah, with exactly. dilute calicos. Right, yeah, that's. Right, I think sure. that would work. And then I'm not even going to get into IP as a flat circle. This is a fucking it's not, novel. No, like, yeah, it's, it's the MCU. Just it's the MCU. The MCU is a flat circle. Yeah, yeah. All right, Dan, moving on. Yes. Let's get to Chekhov's What's It? This is the thing that occurs in the first act of whatever we are watching, and it winds up perhaps being relevant in the third act. Um, Anna, what do you have? Chekhov's Zune, Dan. <laughs> I love that it's a Zune, and I know that's like an easy joke that everyone gets. Yeah. But I love that it's a Zune. I also love that he's wired headphones. I, as, I'm a big fan of the wired headphones. Uh, I like, che I'm going to go with Chekhov's backpack, which literally appears in the very first act of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 that winds up playing a role in this film. Yes. You could also say Chekhov's Come and Get Your Love. Ooh. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. That's true. Although it, that's so much a Chekhov's gun as it is just like a symmetry. Yeah. And it's a callback. Like that's a... Yeah. Uh, I, or, difference you know, between. There's a difference between a, a Chekhov's gun and a callback all yeah. right now finally we've been chatting because we're not worried about making it through this movie like there's not so much to cover so i think no. we've given ourselves a little free reign here but we do need to cover the movie itself so dan let's get to the please plot. sure yes. let's start with act one the stupidest antagonist yet the guardians are running nowhere but it's a bit of a struggle peter aka star lord is still mourning the death of gamora and then the resurrection of a gamora who has zero feelings for peter because she's from an alternate timeline Craglin is still figuring out how to use the arrow he inherited from Yondu. Nebula is still critical of everyone, and Mantis is still too accommodating. Adam Warlock smashes through this bad equilibrium by literally smashing into nowhere and attempting to steal Rocket on orders from his mother, the Sovereign, who we saw in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. He fails, but not before tearing up the place and seriously wounding Rocket. They can't use a med pack on him because his implants have a kill switch. The only way to treat him is to get the kill code for the kill switch. While Rocket is out, we learn his origin story through flashback. He was just a normal raccoon cub, experimented on by the high evolutionary, an egomaniac intent on breeding a new perfect world called Counter-Earth. Rocket befriends other CGI experiments named Lila, Teefs, and Floor. Rocket helps figure out how the high evolutionary's experiments have been going wrong. Like any senior scholar, this enrages rather than pleases the high evolutionary, who cannot figure out why Rocket is his only creation to possess any kind of intellectual creativity. He tells Rocket that he and his friends were never destined for Counter-Earth. Rocket breaks out of his cage to free his friends, but the high evolutionary anticipated this attempt, and Lila, Teefs, and Floor die in the escape attempt. This enrages Rocket, who disfigures the high evolutionary as he escapes. Anna, I don't know about you, but if I were PETA, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, I would be making a large contribution to the James Gunn Memorial Retirement Fund, because between Rocket's backstory, Cosmo the Good Dog, and Blurp, the adorable thing. little CGI creation. The adorable who, thing. It's yeah, a little who, thingy. Yeah. Yeah. Befriends Adam Warlock. Is this the most animal-friendly MCU project ever? Why, Yes. Uh, it's not just animal friendly, it is darn right manipulative. <laughs> yes, it is. It I opens have... with a shot of baby raccoons, for God's sakes. And I recently started a vegan meal delivery service, and <laughs> boy, do I feel smug about that right now. 
I want to be clear, I'm not a vegan or else you would have heard about that before. Right. Uh, <laughs> but I do generally eat plant-based. Mm-hmm. We can have another discussion at some time around the ethical issues of eating animals. Yeah. It's, I think, a, I'm being totally serious. I think it's actually a kind of interesting and thorny subject. Dan is looking... Well, no, what I'm what I'm honestly thinking about is that, you know, like occasionally on social media, there'll be this thing of like, you know, what is the thing that 200 years from now they will look at what we've done as horrible? It might be that. I think the way we treat the animals we eat is definitely up there. And that is sort of my general issue is actually not the eating. It's the treatment Right, although we are getting a little, and bit also off the, the Carmen, and and also you know the climate, yeah, part of it. Right, and we're getting off the topic. We're so getting off topic on. because the high evolutionary commits a lot of sins, but I don't <laughs> think eating meat is actually one of them. And interestingly <laughs> enough, I, it should be pointed out, even though the film is all about like bad treatment of animals, this actually just occurred to me, like throughout the entire film they eat a lot of animals they eat meat on a stick (laughs) like there is a lot of like eating meat on a stick in this movie so you know like james gunn clearly has like some i would say well james gunn not perhaps the most intellectually rigorous of the filmmakers that we have talked about but look at this way this like i don't know he has he has like a couple good ideas that he's interested in and is not following through on all of them. I'm just saying the the eating meat on a stick thing is such a recurrent motif in this film. He had to be aware that like it was like contradicted somewhat what he's doing in terms of the animal experiments. But I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, okay. I don't know. Right, fair enough. I don't know. Uh, the other thing I want to say about this section is I am not sure if the A plot of this movie makes any sense at all. I mean- in the sense of the high evolutionary needing. No, that's not the oh. A plot. I mean, like oh. the whole, like, they have to save Rocket by going mm. to get the kill code. Like, that's a MacGuffin, basically. That does seem horrifically complicated. I agree. Yeah, that's it's a, it's complicated. Yeah. And also, like, surely there's like, I don't know, like, it just seems, it just seems like a, a artificial kind of. Let me put it this way. I would, this was one of those things where maybe I don't know if I was rooting for the film. I was like, okay, fine, whatever. Yeah, Let's you're right. It's an okay, along. fine. It's it's yeah. like, all right, well, I, I like it's Rocket. Not the, it's Let's not the save greatest Rocket. Plot. Right. It's not the greatest plot, but like, fine. We need They need to save Rocket. They need to do this thing to do it. It, it basically means... was an excuse. It was a Rocket backstory delivery system. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So let's get to act two. I have one more, have one oh, more point. Sorry. One sorry, more point. Yep. Was he a normal raccoon? I believe this he was. Yeah. No, no, no. This is something that all of the YouTube commentators that I now watch that brought up was that there might be something special about Rocket prior to him being cybernetically engineered. That there is some, because he was the only one to have, as you say, intellectual dynamism. And right. is that something that was cybernetic? And if it was cybernetic, then it would be replicable. And he's the only one of any of the high evolutionaries creations to have yeah. that. And also the this is really deep reading and I I love this shit because I don't not because I agree with it, but because I admire the creativity of the people who do the deep reading. There you having go. to as the person who does the critique of capitalism section, like okay, is yes. very related. One of the videos I watched pointed out that he's the only raccoon cub that doesn't cower in the background. That's how he gets picked. Right, exactly. Although, you know, there's two ways to interpret that. One was like, he's not afraid. The other is he's remarkably stupid or unknowing about what was going on. Okay, sure. Just going to go with that. Sure. We have to finish. We have to finish this plot. Please (laughs) go. All right, let's get to act two. Ain't no plan like a Star-Lord plan. The Guardians team up with the Ravagers to break into the Orgoscope, the HQ of Orgocorp owned by the High Evolutionary. 
This means working with Gamora, who is a Ravager now. The break-in does not go exactly as planned. Star-Lord's declaration of love leaves Gamora unmoved. They have to have a shootout with the guards, and most importantly, they get Rocket's file, but it doesn't have the override code. The Guardians deduce that Thiel, one of the High Evolutionary's flunkies, may have downloaded the override code into his memory, and although the reason why he would have done that escapes, like, we don't know why, but they track him to Counter-Earth. Counter-Earth looks an awful lot like suburbia and city life in our own Earth's US of A, Anna. This includes all of Earth's problems, like crime and drugs. And suburban anime, I guess. Peter is eventually pointed in the direction of the High Evolutionary's HQ. He, Nebula, and Groot head there with Drax and Mantis ordered to guard the ship, which contains Rocket and a somewhat pouty Gamora. They don't listen, which winds up being a problem. Quill and Groot board the HQ, which is a ship, leaving Nebula behind. Mantis unwillingly accompanies Drax to the ship as well, which begins to launch with Quill and Groot still on board. Nebula, Drax, and Mantis break in as well. Anna, I did love the set design of both the Orgoscope and Counter-Earth Suburbia. And it was also pleasant to see Nathan Fillion in non-CGI form in Guardians of the Galaxy. I think he played one of the prisoners in the first film. But in this film, he's playing a guard and he's doing Nathan Fillion worthy level stuff. Like he has his own like vibe and I can see why James Gunn likes him. Everyone should like him. He's good in this film. Well, I think that's because he plays an actual character that has yeah. some, I mean, you can imagine him, well, he's acting, you know, like right. I'm actually a little disappointed. I was kind of hoping he would be in one of the post credit scenes. Cause like that would have been something they could have done, but yeah, that yeah, would have been, I can imagine it. and would have been kind of hilarious. Like yeah, you, yeah. he had a backstory. Like yeah. he has these, he has these flunkies that he himself is annoyed with and who exactly. among us yes, has not had someone we've had to work with. Who's just a little bit few, you know, beers short of a six pack or whatever. Yes. <laughs> It's a delightful cameo. And not every cameo in the MCU is a true cameo. I mean, right. they're cameos, but they're not roles. Right. They're just but cameos. this this was an actual role. I think that would be the, uh, the I could barely it. watch the Orgo Corp scenes because I have a body horror issue. Oh. I just been, it's so incredibly uncomfortable and gross for me that I just, I just don't like it. It makes me squeamish. I'm squeamish, Dan. That's you look confused. I'm no, squeamish. no, because we normally share the body horror stuff. Like I'm but not. You didn't like, have any trouble with it. I didn't have any trouble with this. I think the thing that I thought was interesting was that it was it was it was innovative. Like it was. Oh, I agree. That's I completely way. agree that it's yeah. innovative. I just didn't like it. I didn't that's like fair. watching it. Yeah, yeah. I will say this is where you can see that Gunn used to be a trauma studio. Guy. Yeah. Fair enough. That was his uh, his early days doing trauma horror, and I think this is definitely almost like an homage to trauma horror. And I believe one of the trauma studios directors or founders has a cameo in this. I know he's oh, had a cameo cool. in other Guardians movies, and I'll just point out from that, Gunn more than most like MCU directors loves putting his friends and family yeah. into his movies. Yeah, <laughs> and I think are- his wife has a role. So. There's also like there there are characters from like the first Guardians that like just have like bit roles like I don't know if you noticed oh this, and like, Howard the Duck is in it Howard the Duck th- that poker game it's like Howard the mm-hmm. Duck the broker who like is like in the first Guardians film I saw him there like you know so like there he does a good job like you know it, yeah. it's a nice lived in universe. he likes stunt casting and I yeah. don't mind it like no. it's I will say one of the reasons I think that we generally like him and I mm-hmm. think we even said this about the Suicide Squad is that he clearly loves what he's doing and he's having an awesome time. Yes. Which yes. comes across. Yes. All right, let's get to act 3. Good luck with the replication on this experiment. The high evolutionary <laughs> I'm glad you like that. <laughs> 
Good. Listeners, I'm not going to lie. When I make Anna laugh, it's it's a good it's a good moment for me. <laughs> the High Evolutionary sends War Pig to the Guardian's ship to get Rocket, and around the same time, Adam Warlock also tries to abscond him. Fortunately, Gamora fights them both off. The High Evolutionary, while acknowledging that Counter Earth is not working out as he had planned, decides that his experiment has failed and starts blowing up the planet with ground explosions. Peter and Groot push Thiel off the ship and escape with him, thereby obtaining the kill code for the kill switch. Gamora picks them up, and they are able to use the kill switch to treat Rocket. Meanwhile, Nebula, Drax, and Mantis are still on the High Evolutionary ship because the Guardians haven't been communicating very well on it. And they see that his next experiment will involve a whole bunch of innocent extras from Children of the Corn Part 4. <laughs> I'm sorry, like, that was the first thought I had when I saw those kids. It was just like, you know, they're delightful, whatever, but like, I was like, the really? village of the They also were transplanted from Village of the Damned. Yeah, like, uh, uh, you yeah. know. Uh, a bunch that of blonde, blue-eyed yes, kids exactly. who are not all white, though. That's true. That is fair. That's a fair point. But like it was yeah. still, it was like, really? That's where we're going? Okay, fine. Mm -hmm. Peter contacts Kraglin and has him pilot nowhere to intercept the high evolutionary ship. Anna, one thing that surprised me about this film was how much I actually enjoyed uh, Pom Clementiev, if I'm pronouncing that correct, as Mantis. She's been fine in the earlier films. I've, I've enjoyed her in these other films. But in this one, she is much more of a truth teller and also a kick-ass action hero. I don't think I'd ever seen her quite like fight like in some of the fight sequences here but i think one of the the telling moments in this film is when she yells at nebula and drax and sort of realizes in the process of yelling that she's not in a good place and she needs to actually like find some agency for herself did you have a favorite guardian i think nebula is the secret secret protagonist the <laughs> well, double, are... double secret probation yeah protagonist i mean I... those eyes are so black on <laughs> <laughs> i love nebula i just yeah. i think you know, she's so crabby, but ultimately good, yeah, you know, yeah. and her turn happens really early on, you know, but like, I like she never sheds like her corrosive, you know, kind of like sarcasm. Caustic, Actually, she's not sarcastic. That's what that's yeah. one of the things yeah. that's great about her is like, yeah. she's incredibly earnest. I shouldn't have said sarcastic. Like mm -hmm. she's caustic, not in a sarcastic way. Usually. No, like, she's telling the truth most of the time. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I kind of love her. Mm -hmm. uh, and I. I think her trauma is on par with with rockets. Yes, I have to admit. So there's crater? this one. There's this one <laughs> sequence where I guess they they look at uh, Rocket's backstory because they downloaded his his mm -hmm. data file or something. And Nebula says, "Oh my God, what he went through was so much worse." And I was like, "Really? Yeah, I don't I, know. I, I actually also, think what Nebula went through was worse. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Hers was also parental abuse, right? Plus, she was conscious during a lot of it. I don't know. It just. I yeah. mean, maybe you know what. I, we should not compare traumas. We shouldn't. It's not a trauma-thon. You're right. It, that's a fair point. All okay. trauma, it's the impact of it and not the cause of it that matters. Okay. Yes. So I will say it's an awfully quick reversal in the counter-Earth experiment. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't yeah. know you, Dan. No, a long time since I ran experiments or anything. Like a long time since I looked at data sets. Mm -hmm. But I do remember working with that data for a long time before I would give up on it. Like it, you know, you want it to work. You like, I don't need to try this, try this. Mm. I don't know. I, I think it just seemed like a rather quick turn for me. I, no, I'm just going to say again, you really need to watch the good place. That's it. It actually did remind me of that of all things. Um, but, but yes, it, it was, it just, it turns on a dime. That's yeah. fine. The plot's yeah. not important. Yeah. I love the Holloway battle. 
Mm-hmm. One of the best battles, I think, in the MCU, yes. I will say. It's yes. a, it's two minutes. It's one shot. Lots of cool stuff happening. They all help each other. Right. It's an intentionally collaborative fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's almost no... <laughs> well, here, my, we'll get to my next point. There's almost no killing that just one of them does. It's all kind of they're helping each other. It's but a joint speaking, killing. Speaking of killing. Yes. They kill a lot of people. And... Yeah. Yeah, they do. Well, and I guess compared to the high evolutionary, though, because I mean, he blows up an entire oh, no, planet. He, he commits genocide. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's, I agree. Right. We can compare that trauma. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's a murder thought. It's a murder off on it. Yeah, that, that is fine. But it seems that his initial resistance to killing and using charm instead just goes right by the wayside. So it's fine. It's fine. It's a comic book. Yeah. And again, Gun. One of the interesting things about him, mm-hmm. he is clearly loves animals, yeah. right? And he's a humanist. Yeah, he is just just loves violence too. I mean, he does. Like the this way, you you can see that this is like it, it, it's generally been commented on that I think the DC universe tends to be a more savage, violent one mm-hmm. to date than the MCU. And there's a way in which Gunn will fit in well. We in talked about universe. this with the Suicide Squad, which yeah. is he definitely like when they said you can do as much violence as you want. Like he seemed to He's, take that. Pretty he was seriously. like challenge accepted. OK, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's close with Act Four, the Guardians battle for Abbey Road. Mantis, Nebula and Drax are captured and imprisoned with obelisks. Mantis is able to persuade the animals that they mean them no harm and thereby they everyone escapes. They reunite with the Guardians and defeat the High Evolutionary's army. That dude is distracted, first by the attack from nowhere, and then from what might be the most horribly disorganized <laughs> mutiny ever. It's rather spur of the moment. It's a spur of the moment thing, and all these people have worked with the High Evolutionary for quite some time. They didn't think this is how he was going to respond. It's like, you know, it, it yeah. made no sense. I, well, I have perhaps an IR question about that. Okay, mm-hmm. fair enough. Cosmo, being a good dog, Anna, uses her powers of telekinesis to link the two ships, enabling the children who have been captive and the Guardians to escape. Rocket discovers a litter of baby raccoons and other test subject animals and insists that all the animals be freed as well. An upset high evolutionary attacks him, but the Guardians collectively kick his ass. The animals are rescued. But don't kill him. Yes. (laughs) Showing some restraint in a way that they did not with dozens of other people. Fair enough. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, The animals are rescued along with most of the Guardians. Cosmo is unable to hold the ships together for long enough for Quill to board. And just as he's freezing in space, a reformed Adam Warlock rescues him. It looks cool. The battle being won, the Guardians recognize they need to do some personal work. Gamora reunites with the Ravagers. Peter and Mantis decide they need to work on themselves, while Nebula and Drax decide to remain on Nowhere to raise the rescued children and animals. Quill makes Rocket captain before leaving for Earth. Rocket reconstitutes the Guardians with Groot, Cosmo, Kraglin, Adam Warlock, Philo, who I believe is one of the kids, and Blur. Mm -hmm. Peter, like the immature doofus that he is, acts like a millennial and moves back in with his family. (laughs) Freeloader. Yeah, exactly. He really does seem like a freeloader in that last, in that post-credit shot. On it, that said, one thing I really did legitimately like in terms of, of Gunn's choices was the decision not to reunite Gamora and Star-Lord. It makes sense that this version of Gamora would not fall for Peter. I thought it was altogether good and proper, and it makes 
Gamora's death, weirdly enough, from Avengers Infinity War, more meaningful because it's not like you can just sort of resurrect Gamora from another timeline and it all works out as before. And it makes sense that Gamora wouldn't make the same decision. This also does raise an interesting question, however. Do you think any of the Guardians will ever find a romantic partner at this point? And what do you think of the MCU saying that Star-Lord will return? So I'm not sure what Gamora ever saw in Quill. (laughs) I mean... Oh, come on. He's a charming guy. I I have found Chris Pratt to be charming. Yeah. Over time, I find him less charming. (laughs) Uh, And also, I believe in the comic books, he's written to be... A, a much more of a of a cad. Um, okay, he's he's not really a cad in the movies because you can't. He is kind cads. of in the first one. He is in the yeah, first one. Yeah, in the one, first yeah. one, he he's a Lothario. Even. Exactly. Yes. Uh, and they really set that aside. And although I do think you scratch the surface of Lothario and you find you know somebody with mommy issues. Oh yeah. So totally. yeah, yeah, that you got here. That tracks. Yes. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And also the way that the very funny scene where he looks at Nebula with a little puppy dog eyes. That was that was actually amusing. I very funny and yeah. very believable. Yes. Because yes. I do think it is a thing with those guys who are Lotharios who might age into just being insecure people with mommy issues <laughs> that they can't be without a girlfriend. You know, Fair like enough. they need yeah. a lady to like have some kind of relationship with. So I can believe I think probably the safest thing for all females in the galaxy yes. is for him to go back home. It's for Star-Lord to move in with his grandfather. Yeah, okay. he's yeah. going to be, I think, you know, uh, he needs to not have a relationship for a while, <laughs> needs to really focus on himself. Relationships okay. will just distract him from that work. Fair enough. So yeah. as for Star-Lord returning, Chris Pratt has said he would do it. Okay. So there's that. But okay. also, I believe the Star-Lord is a title and not an identity. Oh. It's like being James Bond. I guess. Like I mean, being like, 007. Who would, be, how would you, I guess my question is how does someone else become the Star-Lord? Well, but, okay, look, they already have lots of Captain Marvels, That's right? fair. Okay, yeah, yeah. So why not? I mean, okay. and it's, it's fucking Marvel. Like they're. <laughs> and, and no, they have replaced actors in the past. So yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, I mean, and then I, I think that they would probably do something like they've done with the Captain Marvels and mm. just made it a slightly different, like in another universe, right. you know? okay. It's like the variant Lokis. We'll have to see. Like, they okay. love to have their variants. So I think they do. That that's totally possible. That's fair. We know that Drax had a wife, by the way. So and a child. Partners yeah. And a child. That's right? true. I think Nebula could have an interesting relationship with someone as she grows. That, that You know what? I hope Nebula meets someone. I mean this sincerely. Like, you know, yeah. But she seems so closed off that I, I'm Well, I want her. But, well, actually, raising the kids, Dan. <sighs> This, by the way, I, this raises an amusing point. I don't know if you saw this. There was a tweet that Karen Gillian, uh, who plays Nebula, posted that apparently while she was shooting this film, she was late for like a ther- couple's therapy session. And so she had to do it in full makeup. Oh, my God. It's legit funny. And like, you know, props to her for that. That is really funny. I thought you were going to say like while she, while she was doing this, like she adopted a kid. No, 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 no. I think that raising a, a living thing can open you up in many ways. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not a coincidence that Adam Warlock adults attachment to Blorp. <laughs> and, and by the way, props to Will Poulter. Um, he doesn't have a lot to do in this film as Adam Warlock, but one of the things he does incredibly well is play someone not very bright. And that actually, I think, takes some skill. Like, it's not easy to do that. And he, he does it well. Yeah. 
I also liked him. We should also call out for people that might not see the movie that there is a very direct like Adam and God touching hands thing for some reason. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's true. When he rescues Peter. I don't know why. I think this is another thing like James Gunn is not is not thinking everything through. He just thinks I mean, it's like a it's a cool cool stuff. He's like a teenager or Michael Bay. Yeah. One of the two. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, fair yeah. He's a more humane Michael Bay. There you go. Which is not hard. No. So, <laughs> <laughs> but Dan, I have a question. You do. What is it, Anna? Is there IR in this movie? Anna, if my butt is capable of making an analogy, then my brain should be capable of finding some IR in this film. And there is a tiny little bit of IR in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And I think there's sort of two levels of IR one micro and one macro. The micro level is Peter constantly walking into traps, knowing that they are traps. Face-offs. Face-offs, exactly. It's a face-off, trying to outwit his opponent. And surprisingly, because like, again, Peter not generally thought of as the brightest character in the MCU slate, but he actually does it twice in this film, where he does, in fact, outwit whoever he's like dealing with, both like that sort of, you know, woman in the, the Orgo Corp thing, and then the High Evolutionary. So he's grown a little bit since the Avenger films. Props to him for that. And it it shows that like, if you're going to go into a battle, you need to have some sense of tactics. The macro level is all about the high evolutionary's effort to construct a perfect world and why that will always fail. And it it sort of gets, to be honest, Anna, why I kind of became a social scientist in the first place. So It's your origin story. It's my origin story. It's true. I always remember when I was an undergrad, one of my favorite writers at the time, and actually still, uh, is uh, someone who passed away recently, P.J. O'Rourke. He's a, you know, used to write for Rolling Stone. And in the, he, he came out with a collection of his articles that he wrote for them called Holidays in Hell, which I was reading when I was in England. And he talks about why he became like the Rolling Stone's foreign affairs correspondent. And he answered, you know, I wanted to know where trouble came from and why the world was such a lousy place. I wasn't curious about natural disasters, earthquakes, mudslides, floods, and droughts. These are nothing but the losing side of the Grand Canyon coin toss. Okay, it's sad. Now what? I was curious about the trouble man causes himself, and which he could presumably quit causing himself at the drop of a hat, or anyway, a gun. I wanted to know why life, which ought to be an only moderately miserable thing, is such a frightful, disgusting, horrid thing for so many people in so many places. And I have to admit... That actually grabbed me. I was like, that's an interesting question. And that's kind of why I study what I study, which is like, in theory, everyone could drop their guns and actually like live in a more peaceful, harmonious place. We don't. We don't for perfectly good reasons. I don't mean to say like we're stupid. That's not the reason why. Understandable. Understandable. Yes. We do it for understandable reasons. And that's something that weirdly the high evolutionary never quite got. And all of that said, and you're the optimist between us. Yes. I think that's interesting. It is I, so my IR question goes yeah. back to the mutiny. Okay. Yes. <laughs> which yeah. is, there are, I assume, studies of mutinies. Like people think about these things. Mm-hmm. I would imagine most mutinies are spontaneous. Or somewhat spontaneous. Like, I don't know. How much do we do we know? I honestly don't know. I, this is not something I've read up on all that much, so I don't want to speculate. It would make sense that they were spontaneous because a plan- and they're probably mostly unsuccessful too. Well, yeah, think about it. yeah, yeah. You know, it's the nature a, of mutinies. 
Yes, that's true. I also want to say, like, this is a, I was, I was saving this to the debris field, but it's worth bringing up here. The the person who leads the mutiny, I can't remember her character's name, but the actress is Miriam Shore, who I love. She is a great character actor. She was uh, in the Sutton Foster vehicle Younger, which was a great television show. Oh yeah, and she she's like she was this wonderful like fashionista in that, which was fantastic. She was also played a, a small role in um, the Americans in the final season in the almost exact opposite thing as a cancer patient, um, and in some ways weirdly. The casting of her was great. I was happy to see her in a in a MCU project. I think previously she she was in Jessica Jones for like a, a half minute, but it ruined it for me because actually I was convinced there was a deeper backstory to her character. <laughs> there might be. There very well might be. But like, there's a moment like at the very beginning when the High Evolutionary is trying to say like, I don't understand why Rocket is the way he is. And if you remember, she and the other flunky give each other a meaningful look. And I was like, oh, that'll be relevant for later. And it wasn't. It faked me out. I was like, I thought maybe she had done something to cause Rocket to be different. And yet we we don't see that. So it was, mm. in some ways, it was too good of an actor for that role. But Anna, I have a question for you. What is it, Dan? Is there a critique of capitalism in James Gunn's film? <laughs> Dan, I learned my lessons. <laughs> I aimed some small parts of my mental capacity back at this movie <laughs> and now capitalism itself serves my whim <laughs> Anna, that is the sexiest line reading you have ever given on this podcast <laughs> well done thank you <laughs> which is to say this is a marvel movie and that's yeah. a celebration of capitalism so i really have to like work my magic yeah you know yeah, yeah. that said i do think there's sort of an interesting gesture at a critique of capitalism Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's, it's, it's intentional in the sense that James Gunn makes anything intentional. Like he's interested in something and then kind of, you know, gestures at it and then runs away. Yeah. Uh, And that's a safe way of describing a lot of James Gunn stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I I think this idea of a multi-billion dollar franchise having a secret protagonist, (laughs) that's not a white man. Ah. Not not a man, mm-hmm. not a human. No, is really interesting, and it made me think about what's what they refer to on TikTok as the main character syndrome. Oh, you know, this idea that we're all the hero of our own story, yeah. and I did sort of snort laugh at the heaven scene when Lila oh, right, tells right. Uh, Rocket, "You've always been the hero, and you didn't know it," or yeah, yeah. something like that. There is no one that needs to be told that. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anyone who is like, oh, I'm only a secondary character in my in this story? You know, actually, like, to be fair, I think that's one of the things that Mantis realizes in this film that she thinks that she's she realizes she's been a secondary character and wants to be the main character. I will say that, like, I do think that's an instance in which that's true. I just don't know if I've ever met anyone ever that hmm. doesn't think of themselves as the protagonist in their own life story. Hmm. I mean, maybe. I guess I guess that's possible. You could live a life where you have been beaten down so hard, right? That you do not believe yourself to be the protagonist in your own story. I don't think Rocket has that problem. No, Rocket definitely does not have that problem. That's I think problem. Rocket. One of the in, one of the cool things about Rocket as mm-hmm. a character in the Guardians of the Galaxy series is that he definitely thinks of himself as the protagonist. Yes, like yes. in fact. One of the little subversive things that happens in the other movies is that Quill is always sort of being like, and we're going to do what I say because I'm the captain. And Rocket's like, no. Like, <laughs> and in fact, I think it's in Thor Ragnarok where 
Thor assumes that the what he like the rabbit is the captain, right? You like mean they in, take I off- think it's a, in Avengers Infinity War. Uh, perhaps yes yeah, like yeah. but they but they they he, he's like i will do what the what the rabbit says right, or yes, whatever yes, he yes, calls yes, rocket yes. Mm-hmm. so i don't think rocket needs to be told that mm-hmm. right yes that's correct that's true. but the other interesting thing about sort of the idea of this main character syndrome and secret protagonist is that capitalism really wants us to think of ourselves as protagonists as the heroes ah. because it's a fantasy of individual action okay. a fantasy that the superhero oh. is what changes history that collective action is necessarily weaker than that hmm. of a you know godlike being and in fact in the in credit se- uh, sequence when raga says well these townspeople aren't going to save themselves <laughs> you know like the, the little socialist in me was like well wait a minute like <laughs> so it's not a little socialist in me either and i did actually think like oh come on yeah like then are they read by accident i don't know mm-hmm. uh anyway the superhero franchises are like literally a commodification of individualism, right? Like where we yeah. in this grand irony buy copies of a hero mm-hmm. in order to imagine ourselves in a heroic position, right? So I don't know if this idea of a secret protagonist isn't it's not definitely intended to problematize the idea of a definitely superhero. Not. No. <laughs> no. And it might actually be, I might, in, you know, I always read too much into things, but it might be that even this idea of a secret protagonist is a way of extending the franchise of superherodom, you know, and it just is this idea. It's a sort of another way of, of, of telling the er superhero story, which is someone who thinks of themselves as an outsider, who thinks of themselves as having deformity or having like some kind of, pro, you know, something that makes them unique in a bad way, then, oh, wow, all of a sudden. You know, it turns out that's the thing that makes them a superhero. I don't know. I do think it's interesting. Yeah. But but I also think James Gunn has not, not thought, thought through it through. It. <laughs> yep. We we're, we both arrived at the same He point. just likes animals. Yeah. I'm required by, you know, our bylaws to make an Adorno reference. <laughs> and I will say I did. I, I did. Do we need Karen at some point, like put it like a somewhat like a, a basso profundo but adorno reference reference karen feel free yeah there we go. uh when rocket says he didn't want to make things perfect he just hated things the way they are mm-hmm. that's a good encapsulation of the personality at least of theodore adorno i believe yeah and i also think though he would have um very much just hate watched this movie and probably laughed and laughed <laughs> in general superhero movies i think would really punch his buttons but oh, also yeah. This movie sort of dares to villainize someone whose big sin is tinkering with creation, right? I, I will say, in some ways, it was. And on- it's an IP. It's a, it's entirely yeah. borrowed IP, right? <laughs> like there is not there. The only thing that is happening in this movie is tinkering with creation. I will say that was oddly refreshing about this film, and that like one of the problems we've talked a lot about how one of the problems with MCU films is always that the third act winds up being, oh my god, the fate of the universe is at stake. We need to do something, and. It wasn't in this case. This was this was, you know, there were lives at stake, but it was a a smaller stakes film. Like he, li- the high evolutionary, literally says, "No, I don't want to rule everything. I just want to create a perfect world." And again, just the best advertisement for actually having a real human subject committee in the galaxy <laughs> that I have ever seen in my life. Sweet Jesus, yes, yeah. I, I, however, we, this is we've been making references to this as we've talked about this movie as much as we both had a pleasant experience. Yeah. I think it's because James Gunn doesn't think through things and just sort of makes these references and gestures 
this movie did not stick with me. I doubt I'm going to think about it much. I have, I can't imagine going back and watching it again in part because animal. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I do not. Again, this is not a bad movie. It's a quite pleasant film. I think we, we both in agreement on that. And like in the moment, enjoyed it. There's not much more than that. Like the, the, I wound up thinking more about the ways in which the reason that perhaps the trilogy works. And I, I, but that, I will say this. I thought the first Guardians film was like legitimately good and would watch it again. Like there's, it's, it's a well-constructed plot. It's very funny. But I think part of the reason these films work within the MCU is that they're not actually within the MCU. They're like, they're part of the MCU, but like there's no crossover stuff. There's none of that, like, you know, other characters being introduced. It's just these three films and they can, if they didn't exist, it would be okay. Although. Yeah the nerds YouTube channels that I watch mm. point out that it's actually the guardians trilogy that introduces the infinity stones. That's correct. Yes. And that it's Peter that makes the huge mistake that gets everyone. Right. Although that was in an Avengers film. It's not a, yeah, it's not right. That's true. That yeah. like that actually the guardians are incredibly important to the MCU, That's, even if their films are standalone. Yes. And by the way, I don't think James Gunn has been happy about some of this stuff. Like I think he stated explicitly, he was not a fan of how the guardians were treated in the Avengers films. Like, I don't think he likes the fact that, that Peter was responsible for that. Um, <laughs> and he wasn't <laughs> happy. It's really funny because it actually completely tracks. Yeah. It was Peter's a good character. use of the character. I agree. Yeah. Apparently like the, apparently Chris Pratt and like some of the other character actors called James Gunn as they were getting the scripts to like ask, is this okay? Or, or things to that effect. And also James Gunn apparently was not thrilled that Thor winds up on the ship at the end of Avengers Endgame, And he was grateful to Taika Waititi that it was going to be dealt with in his film and not, uh, not James Gunn's. And Ragnarok. So if we're going to rank, existing mcu films yeah. it is actually it's a uh, first guardians movie and mm-hmm. ragnarok that probably are in the definitely top five and then i think oh, yeah. it's a taste issue about whatever ones you have after that i would say yeah i mean you, i would all throw in black panther and captain america winter soldier but yeah 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 yeah, yeah. those are those those are good and i have a weakness for civil war oh yeah that's good i don't know i don't know if other everyone would agree but okay. No, and this is a this is a you know what we might have to do an episode just based on that, like you know, oh, ranking the exactly. ranking the yeah, MCU movies. Yeah, yeah we might. I hope that would be fun. Okay. That would be fun. Oh, All right, wait. What pieces of Orgo Corp? Oh God, Orgo Corp is just pieces. splattered everywhere. Good it's Lord, Counter Earth. That's Orgo Corp. It's time for debris field. Uh, we sometimes do Discord notes, but people did have questions. I think it's because it's out so soon. Yeah. You know, maybe we'll take questions at the next AUA, which are now scheduled regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can look in the Discord if you're a patron. I posted the schedule. Yeah. So it's a brief field. This is where we talk about the stuff we haven't already talked about. And I will choose as my first subject, mm-hmm. uh, Drax, David okay. Bautista. Yep. I think he is just hilarious. I think <laughs> he is, my all of his jokes land in a perfect way. The mm-hmm. metaphor scene that you reference. <laughs> yes is incredibly funny he also has heart mm-hmm. um his i'm invisible monologue <laughs> in one of the other films that was in the second one i think or the, in the second yeah, one is yeah. amazing so he's not just i forget that he was a wrestler yeah we were talking before i think he's the he is the best wrestler turned actor he has the greatest range of, of, yeah, of that I mean, category yeah love gem cena yeah. Love The Rock. Both charming, mm-hmm. uh, charismatic. They do great 
in their comedic roles, mm -hmm. especially, or at least they're sort of, I guess, for The Rock, it's like the action comedy yeah. roles. Mm -hmm. But I think Bautista has range. Yeah. And he has said that he will not do Drax again and that he was does want to do more serious. He, I don't think he used the word serious, but he is a committed actor. Like he really wants to do it. And so I, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Good for him. Yeah, I agree. Okay, for me, this might be a small thing, but the credits faked me out. So I saw that Linda Cardellini was listed in the credits and I was like, oh, nice. So they're going to tie in this somehow with Laura, who is Hawkeye's wife. And I was like, kept waiting for her to show up. And then I, of course, I eventually figured out she was the voice of Lila. And so weirdly, James Gunn also used Judy Greer. I think she was the voice of Warpig. So like, it's odd that, that she he used like two actors who have appeared in the MCU elsewhere, but like were voice actors for this. And I want to talk about Bradley Cooper as well. Like I said, <laughs> I think he, if they were Oscars for voicing animals mm -hmm. in movies, he would be up for one. I think I don't reckon whenever I watch it, I always have to remind myself it's Bradley Cooper. Yeah. He doesn't sound like Bradley Cooper. No, he doesn't. Yeah. But if you really want to appreciate his work, I recommend looking at YouTube for the bits of, of him doing the voiceover work because mm -hmm. uh, he really inhabits the role. Yeah. yeah. But I also should point out, and now I need to look up what is what is the, the guy that James Gunn's brother who plays Sean Gunn. Sean Gunn. Yeah. But I also want to point out Sean Gunn, mm -hmm. who plays Craglin, but mm -hmm. also does the physical work of Rocket mm -hmm. on set. Correct. And yeah. it's his actions that are, you know, they use. The as they, a CGI. They base, yeah. As yeah. a CGI. And he has also done, he, he does the character and some of his gestures and one whatnot that are ad-libbed wind up waking their, making their way into the script. So mm -hmm. he's a collaborative character, probably actually, you know, as much as I love Bradley Cooper, probably couldn't be done without Sean Gunn. Mm -hmm. And it's a great creation. I, I agree. And we talked about this just before. Like, it was funny. You showed me one of the, or you you texted me one of the videos and I was, I was watching it. Something fell into place about Bradley Cooper's performance. And I realized this because he was wearing like a Philadelphia Eagles shirt as he was doing the voiceover. And I realized... Rocket is definitely a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Like if well, you think of Rocket as a Philly sports fan, suddenly it makes so much more sense. He would drunkenly riot at the drop of. Oh, that. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rocket okay, Rocket would be booing Joel Embiid after he won the MVP trophy because the, the 76ers lost. Yes, that would be totally his thing. All right. What else you got? I do want to point out the MCU has gotten a lot of flack for their special effects. Um, as generally thought of being a incredibly overtaxed and being not very good. I thought the CGI in this film was great, actually. Like it was the, the effects in this film are, are quite good. Um, you didn't seem to know that Cosmo was entirely CGI. No, I thought that Cosmo was a real dog. So like it, again, like it, it maybe this is the difference between seeing it in a theater versus seeing it on a television. Cause I do think there are times where FX look really good on a big screen, but when you're watching it on television, you can see things a little bit more clearly, but I, I thought they were incredibly good. And you know, as I said, I will say Cosmo did have a reference dog ah, okay. on set. There was a dog that they used for CGI reference, whose name was slate and looks a lot like Cosmo. Okay. It's like our kind of red golden retriever lab mix. Very cute. What what dog isn't cute? Yes, but I I the my only complaint about Cosmo is it did make me think of Leica, which has one of the most tragic stories in animaldom, and Correct. I don't like to think about it. Okay, and if we mentioned the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special, which is mm -hmm. delightful. Yes, like it is so fun, and I partially based on the fact that um my my friend Rhett Miller, the old ninety sevens are the band 
Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. You didn't know the old 97s were the band? No. Or I didn't, didn't know he was my friend? I, both is the answer. <laughs> so, you know, both are cool. <laughs> yes. Rhett, um, the only tragedy of that special is that Rhett is one of the most handsome men I have ever personally known. Mm-hmm. And he has a lot of makeup on. Right. And he plays like he's an alien. Right. Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. And so I have other friends. So I'm... I have other friends that work in the music and comedy industries. I will not, I will resist the urge to name drop. But one of the things we occasionally talk about when Rhett kind of comes into our lives for a reason is how weird and it is to be friends with someone who's like so magnetic, Mm -hmm. like who you will have the experience of of women (laughs) like looking at him. Distractingly. Yes. He distracts women like at a bar or whatever, you know, and it's, it seems weird to talk about this, but it's, he also is one of the most like sweetest, humblest, no. greatest guys. He is married to a supermodel. I'm afraid to look at their children. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, it, go ahead. I mean, I, I guess is now the point what I can also bring up the soundtrack. Yeah. I, no, really, I had like, go ahead. Yes, go, go ahead, ahead. You go. No, no, no. Okay. Um, it, it's interesting that you would bring up the, the Christmas session. This was the only, like, again, this feels like comic book guy. I know, but it was something that bothered me. Like, so in the post credit scene, there's a clever callback to the Christmas special because one of the headlines is, you know, Kevin Bacon describes UFO abduction. And this is where it, like, it bugged me a little bit because it was like, it's not a UFO abduction because in the MCU, ever since the Avengers film, everyone is fully aware they're aliens. It's not an unknown flying It's not object. an unidentified flying object. Like the Earth for like a decade is fully aware that there are plenty of other you know, alien civilizations out there. It's one of the odder aspects of the MCU and it doesn't really quite know what to do with that information. But this was an example of that that occasionally I just found jarring. Well, pinging off the Christmas special, I will yeah. also mention Christmas special has a great song written by James Gunn, which I don't know what Christmas is, performed by yes. the old 97s. Which is good, yeah. And he is a music nerd, clearly. Yeah. The soundtrack for this movie, like every other Guardians movie, totally bangs. Yep. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, the use of the Florence and the Machine, Dog yes. Days Are Over. I was so happy when that song came on. That was a great way to close out the film. And I did, I had happy tears yep. because actually that song was in the charts around, you know, in, in, in the atmosphere, pop cultural atmosphere when I was at treatment. Oh. And I'm going to cry. Oh, I don't know. So one of the cool things about a place I went to treatment was that we had chapel every Sunday mm-hmm. and it was, but it was non-denominational and just right. kind of like, yeah. A meeting but mm-hmm. one of the things i did at chapel was they had a, a one of kind of the side programs where i went was for musicians they had like a their own it wasn't completely separate from everything else but they had a meeting for musicians and people in creative industries because i mean they're they face their own struggles yeah, and sure. sobriety mm-hmm. right oh yeah i would imagine so yeah uh, but one of the things they do is perform though every chapel there was a performance and did they perform the dog days are they, over oh. like an acoustic version and it was just oh wow that must have been amazing. It was so it brought back a lot of like good memories of freedom. That is one of those songs that like I you know if it comes on like I my mood lifts automatically. So yes, it was a good way. It was a nice way of ending with the the trilogy. So well done. There. And I'll point out that he also is known for writing uh, his songs into the script. They're almost all diagenic. Uh, when they're used, which is to say that the music is present in the movie as well as on right. the soundtrack. Like there's a, there is they're a something in something the in scene music. that generates Oh, and this reminds me, so I'll, I'll close out on one last thing, which is I did love the idea 
that what makes Earth stand out in the galaxy is that our music and art are good. Like, I, it was actually interesting to me that, like, there was a comment on that. I think it was the High Evolutionary who said it, but I was like, okay, we screwed up a lot of stuff, but I like the idea that, like, we special, like, like our thing is the music and the art. I can, I could live with that. And I don't actually really believe this, but I'll just point it out as an interesting idea, which mm-hmm. is that he says it would be a great culture except for the bigotry, <laughs> which is true, right? Mm-hmm. But also, I wonder could there be a connection between the ways that we treat each other and the art we create? And I don't think I don't think what I'm saying is that we have to have systemic injustice to create great art. Mm-hmm. I think what I might be saying or what I want to believe is that that is the thing that enables us to keep going despite the systemic injustice. I like that better. That's a much better way system. of framing it. Yes. Thank you. All right, Dan, I think we're done. I believe we are. We have some cool stuff coming up. Like I said, we also have we have a newsletter that mm-hmm. really we're going to do now because we also have staff. We do. Oh, my God. Thank you, Jessica. Announce. We have staff. Yeah. Jessica is our new staffer. Doesn't she doesn't do it full time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have we have we have brought her on to help us do some more administrative stuff with more regularity, including our AUAs and a newsletter. The newsletter is not just for patrons. It's at tinyletter.com slash base the nation. If you want to keep up with what we're doing both personally and what our schedule is, that is a good place to look. Mm-hmm. It is one of the only places to look unless you join the discord, which you have to be a patron for. Which you might want so to anyway, doing. Dan, until next time, keep this channel open for more. <laughs>